0: Now let's listen to Stuart Albertson and Keith Davidson discuss the options and their recommended approach to this difficult problem.
1: So we've had an interesting fact scenario here, Keith, and we actually see this fact scenario quite often. Uh, It comes in different flavors, but it's the same one over and over again. You have uh, two siblings, Uh, one sibling stays at home and takes care of dad towards the end of dad's life, and lo and behold, that sibling ends up getting the majority of the trust assets. The thing that I thought was uh, interesting here was that this estate plan, the last one that was done, the amendment was done really well, if you think about it, because of the no contest clause and the gift of uh, $250,000. Did you see that the same way I do? Yeah, I think that's right. So
0: in other words, they gave this beneficiary something to lose, something significant to lose because $250,000 is a lot of money and then they put in a tough no contest clause so what they're hoping for probably is that they'll take the money and and go home, right?
1: Okay and not to get too far afield here on no contest clauses but we had a good good uh, opponent of ours uh, write an article in a recent publication bragging about the fact that no contest clauses are back and they're strong and you better watch out for them Uh, how scary are these no contest clauses under the current legislation in California?
0: Uh, Well, not very, because there's a huge out for no contest clauses, and that is if you have probable cause. And so you're coming in, and you know, 99.9% of cases when people are contesting trusts, I mean, we wouldn't take a case and file it if we didn't think that there was something there worth contesting. It wouldn't be worth filing in the first place. So that means that, in at least all of our cases, there is probable cause for our filing. That doesn't mean we're gonna win you know we may lose but under current no contest clause law you can file and lose and if you have probable cause to contest that document you still are not triggering the no contest clause so Uh,
1: I did want to talk to you about your choice of a financial elder abuse and it seems like this is a hot topic now in California at least it is right now about who has the ability to bring one of these lawsuits we lawyers we call that standing Uh, can you talk to us a few minutes about your thoughts on that
0: Yeah, you know, it used to be, I think everybody's understanding, that when it came to standing, it was almost anybody could bring these type of lawsuits because the financial elder abuse laws said that any interested person could do it. And so we took that to mean, well, interested people are, you know, children, heirs at law, beneficiaries of trust. It's very wide. And now we've been hit with a series of appellate court cases that are, they're starting to trim that back. And they're starting to narrow the field of who can actually bring a financial elder abuse claim. And in a lot of ways I think it's unfortunate because I think the whole purpose of having a broad field of people who could file was meant to protect elders because elders, when, especially when they're being abused, uh, you know, they can't protect themselves and sometimes their caregiver or their, their uh, you know, agent under, attorney, under a power of attorney or their trustee, these are the people who are doing the abusing so of course they're not going to take action. But now that what we're seeing out of the appellate court is you have to have some uh, skin in the game. So you have to have something to lose in these lawsuits or gain if you're successful in order to have standing. So in my way of thinking, it's kind of putting the cart before the horse because you're saying, well, first you have to be able to win it. And then you have to be able to have something that you're going to gain from winning it, even though the lawsuit's not about me the individual who's bringing it it's about the elder the person bringing it still has to have some something to win or lose in order to have standing. okay
1: let's tie that into this case do we have a client that would have standing to bring this financial elder abuse lawsuit that you have chosen against Bernice
0: I would argue yes and the reason for that is that what we're talking about in this case is a trust that was created for the sole purpose of taking the elders assets and it, it was a taking after death. She, you know, Bernice wasn't taking it while dad was still alive, but she did set it up so that she could receive a bulk of the assets after dad died. And our client would definitely lose in that scenario. There's definitely something to lose or something to gain by the actions that we're taking. And so for that reason, I think that we would have standing to bring financial elder abuse lawsuit in this case. What are
1: your thoughts? Uh, I think so. I think at least you bring it. Uh, And then, you know, as we found, uh, you appear in front of 10 different judges and you get 10 different decisions. Uh, But I think you've got to bring it. And I think the important point here is that under California law, uh, the jury instructions actually for a financial elder abuse lawsuit, and these are instructions that are read to a jury to review and helping them to determine if there was an exercise of undue influence leading to financial elder abuse, it actually says one of the ways that someone can take these assets, which you were just referring to, the taking that took place, was by going out and getting a new estate plan or an amendment created. And so uh, the issue then becomes do we have to win the, the trust contest first to invalidate the 2017 trust before we're able to say now we see some financial elder abuse, or can we bring it all in one package where we have the trust contest going forward in the probate court and the financial elder abuse lawsuit, perhaps it's in the civil court, perhaps it's also in the probate court, but can you bring those at the same time? And I think that what we're seeing with the appellate decisions is that they're narrowing that and you may have to be able to show that you have a, your skin in the game is affected and it's affected more than just a few thousand dollars. It's gotta be a significant amount before the court will find you have stands, right? Well, I think that uh, your analysis was good in this case. Uh, I think contacting Bernice would have been a waste of time and filing the trust contest, getting the financial elder abuse on file. Uh, The intentional interference of an expected inheritance, I'm starting to think that claim can never be brought because it (laughs) seems like there's always an adequate probate remedy. Uh, Suppose it can be brought under some circumstances, and if uh, we ever are able to do that, we can make a video on that. Yeah. Uh, And then doing nothing, while that's something we always tell people they should consider, in this case, the loss is significant. We're talking, you know, one and a half million dollars or so and the $250,000 gift that's currently there is a far cry from what dad intended for our potential client to get and so I think that uh, she can bring the uh, trust contest and I think there's a a high percentage chance that the no contest clause is not going to be used against her and she's going to forfeit what she would get out of the trust.
0: Let's say the, the attorney who created the original plan went ahead and created the amendment that gave everything to almost everything to Bernice you know, now would you still be in favor of filing all the, of all these lawsuits or do you
1: think do nothing would gain a little bit more of an important decision in your mind and, and that would be something where you'd have to tell the client this is a problem because if you have the same attorney that's a long-standing relationship with the, the decedent in this case that testimony is to be given great weight at the time of trial and so I think what the client has to come to grips with is are they willing to risk the $250,000 for the bigger payday down the road which is which appears that dad did intend that at some point but since he's using the same attorney uh, that's a problem if we go back to the facts as you originally have them here the original attorney declined to do that uh, the subsequent amendment and I think that fact alone is enough to keep the no contest clause from being applied against the client All right, last question for you. If this case walks in 10 times in the office, uh, how many of them do you win? How many of them do you lose?
0: Well, I guess define win. I mean, uh, you know, if you're saying, you know, of these that actually go to trial, how many are you going to win? You probably have maybe a 50-50 shot. So half of them will win, half of them will lose if you go to trial. Keeping in mind that in today's world, on most civil cases, they don't go to trial. The win is in finding a really advantageous settlement somewhere along the way. And if you define that as a win, then you're probably going to win You know, 80% of the time.
1: Yeah, I think 8 out of 10 is a, is a fair representation. I think these are very strong facts. Uh, we don't always have the luxury of these kind of facts. Every once in a while we do, and they're, I think they're easier cases to, to handle. Uh, but I think clients can appreciate uh, on both sides that in civil cases, 95-97% uh, of cases end up settling. Now that doesn't mean you always settle 50-50, but there is a settlement that is found out there. But with these facts, I think that you increase your your chances of getting a, a reasonably fair settlement. If not, I personally would be happy to take this kind of a case to trial mm-hmm. because I like the facts. I like the ability to show, uh, put the, uh, the, uh, put the uh, original attorney up on the stand. And explain what how they met with the decedent. The decedent expressed the, a strong belief that they wanted to share their assets equally between the two children. And then get into the you know wh- wh- how is it that this uh, Bernice approached you, and and why is it that you declined to do the first amendment? I think those are very strong facts. Yeah, definitely be a strong case.